amazing job. I think she just finished tracing our line back to Noah. So that's a joke. <laughs> but she's done some, I mean, it's amazing, amazing things. And uh, it caused me to think about uh, two men who were waiting at an airport. And they struck up a conversation as they were waiting for their airplane. And one of the men was complaining about his family and how dysfunctional they were and messed up they were. And uh, the other man listened to him very patiently. And then finally the other man said, you think you have fine family problems. Listen to my family. He went on to say, a few years ago, I met a young widow who had an adult daughter. We got married. And later, my father married my stepdaughter. That made my stepdaughter my stepmother, and my father became my stepson. Also, my wife became the mother-in-law of her father-in-law. Then, then, are you following this? I hope so. Take notes. Then the daughter of my wife, my stepmother, had a son. This boy was my half-brother because he was my father's son, but he was also the son of my wife's daughter, which made him my wife's grandson. That made me the grandfather of my half-brother. This was nothing until my wife and I had a son. Now the half-sister of my son, my stepmother, is also the grandmother. This makes my father the brother-in-law of my child, whose stepsister is my father's wife. I'm my stepmother's brother-in-law. My wife is her uh, own child's aunt. My son is my father's nephew, and I'm my own grandfather. <laughs> and you think you have family problems, by the way. It seems like very confusing. I, I've read this probably 20 times, and I still can't figure it out. And it's much like my genealogy that my sister is working on. It gets very confusing the further back you go. And the Galatians were having a problem. The Galatian believers, as we turn to the book of Galatians, were having a struggle with whose family they were a part of. And they were confused about it. The Apostle Paul is going to correct this. He is describing family relationships, and he's doing that in chapter 4 here of Galatians. If you take your copy of God's Word and turn to the little letter of Galatians, chapter 4, and we will be looking specifically at the paragraph verses 12 through 20 today. Let me open in prayer before we unpack this portion of Scripture. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you know all things. There is nothing confusing to you or out of your sight. We thank you that you're working out your perfect plan throughout all of the ages. Thank you for bringing us together here this morning in time and space. I thank you for each one here and for our children downstairs, for those who minister to them, for the children in the nursery, and for those who care for them. We praise you and thank you for those who care for our children. We pray today that each one would grow in the knowledge and the admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ, that as we look at this portion of Scripture that we would engage with it, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, lead us in the truth, that you'd guide my words, that they'd be accurate to your word. And Lord, we thank you this morning for this opportunity to gather in freedom. We do thank you for our country, for our leaders. We do pray, especially this week, as there will be a transition in the presidency. We pray for uh, President Obama and Michelle and their family as they transition out of the presidency, that Lord... Uh, you would use them and that they would be sensitive to your will as they go forward in their lives. And also for Donald Trump and uh, his family, Lord, we pray for them. And we pray for other leaders in government, that they would honor you, that you would just put your hand upon them. And we pray, Lord, 
that we as believers, no matter what happens, that we would be faithful to your word, that we would not be worried, that we would stand fast for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word in our own language. We thank you for those who went before us and generations before to bring it to us, some who shed their blood uh, to protect the word of God. And we thank you that your, your protecting hand has been upon your word, that we have authentic, authoritative copies in our hands today. And Lord, we praise you for those who are translating your word around the world. We pray for them for encouragement and perseverance as they work to translate your word into the heart language of tribes and tongues that do not have it yet. And Lord, thank you for blessing us with one another. We thank you for this church family, this fellowship. Thank you for our guests who are with us here today. And may all of us have eyes to see your blessings. And Lord, specifically, I pray for Gio Lopez in the hospital in Seattle. Pray for him for encouragement, for perseverance, through very difficult and adverse medical treatment. Thank you that you're with him and you know all about this. And we entrust him to you. And thank you, Lord, for blessing us with this day, for it's in Jesus' powerful name I pray, amen and amen. Well, this morning, uh, you know, if you're any confused about your own spiritual heritage, as that man was confused about his family, uh, you need not have that confusion. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior, he is very clear in his word what it means to be a child of God. In this passage, uh, in the book of Galatians, actually, it answers the question, are we saved? In other words, do we have eternal life by believing or by achieving? Of course, the Galatians were being uh, challenged in their belief in Jesus Christ by, in faith by grace alone. And they were going back to the Old Testament law. The Jewish uh, false teachers were coming in and trying to tell them that, yes, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but you must also be circumcised. You must also adhere to the Mosaic law. And uh, they were upsetting and, and untangling the things or undoing the things that had done, been done before. The Galatian churches had fallen under the spell of these false teachers, and they were following the erroneous idea that salvation uh, is faith plus works. And uh, the Apostle Paul, seeing this doctrinal compromise is which, what it was, is approached the issue as a scholar and also as an exhorter. In your bulletin on the back of the sermon notes is the chart again of Galatians, thanks to uh, <clears throat> Bruce Wilkinson and Kenneth Bowe. I've adapted it from their work. But you can see that Galatians is broken into three major sections, chapters 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul defends the gospel of grace alone. In chapters 3 and 4, gospel of grace is explained. It's the doctrinal or theological section of this letter. And then chapters 5 and 6, we will see the gospel of grace applied. But here in chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul is illustrating the vindication of this idea that we are saved by grace through faith, that we are justified, that's the theological term, or declared righteous by God based upon the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, what Christ has done for us alone. The Apostle Paul has vindicated that in chapter 3, and now in chapter 4, he's illustrating it. And uh, as Wes Grego preached early in the b chapter 4 of Galatians, uh, the Apostle Paul uses the illustration of slaves and sons. Are you a slave or are you a son? And he's making the point very clear that uh, going back into the law, into a works-oriented righteousness, simply makes you a slave to that. And it is not the basis of our salvation. The basis is the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness. 
And then in chapter 4, like I said, he's illustrating it. At the end of chapter 4 from verses 21 through 31, he is using Isaac and Ishmael as two examples of uh, the fact that uh, he is illustrating justification by faith or being declared right, righteous by faith. So I would commend that chart to you for a big picture of the big chunks of Galatians so you have a handle because the Apostle Paul is arguing from beginning to end that it, our salvation is based on grace alone. Uh, so far in our study, up to this point, we've considered the Apostle Paul is merely a scholar with massive intellectual capabilities. Uh, God greatly blessed the Apostle Paul. When you read through the doctrinal section of Galatians or the book of Romans, for instance, uh, Paul was greatly blessed with great intellectual powers. And some have accused the Apostle Paul of having all head and no heart. Uh, and this paragraph that we're going to look at today will correct that, correct that impression. For here, the Apostle Paul appeals to the Galatians with deep feeling and immense tenderness. This is really the pastoral section of the book of Galatians. First of all, notice in verse 12, he calls them brethren. And that is a, 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 a covers all genders, brethren and the sisterin too. Uh, he calls them brethren in verse 12. Then at the end of verse 19, he calls them little children. He has great tenderness, great passion for them. He is concerned for them deeply. Uh, he even goes on to liken himself to their mother towards the end of this paragraph, who is in labor over them until Christ is formed within them. The Apostle Paul had a heart for them. He was emotionally connected to them. In chapters uh, 1 through 3 in Galatians, we've been listening to Paul the Apostle, Paul the theologian, Paul the defender of the faith, but now we are hearing Paul the man, Paul the pastor, Paul the passionate lover of souls. And now you, I think you'll pick up on that here. Paul's pattern of speaking to believers changes in this, passion, in this uh, paragraph and his intense passion and warmth surfaces here. And he calls not only the Galatian believers, but all believers because the problem that they were facing with the Judaizers, that's what the false teachers were called, trying to overlay Old Testament law onto salvation by grace through faith. Uh, but we are all called to this because in every age there are threats to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. There are those who would take us away from the pure gospel of Jesus Christ and cause us to depend upon our flesh, upon our works, to assure ourselves that we are saved. And the first one we find in verses 12 through 14, the Apostle Paul is crying out to them to live in freedom. They're going back into bondage, as he said earlier on in the chapter, to be slaves under the law. But he tells them to live in freedom. Notice the first words of verse 12 of chapter 4. I beg of you, that's a deep, deep, emotive, heartfelt feeling. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Seems kind of like a strange comment, but what he's referring to is freedom in Christ is the issue. Freedom in Christ is the issue. He expressed himself in that. He wanted these Galatian believers to become as he was, free in Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone, he expressed a similar sentiment to uh, King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, if you remember King Agrippa. Agrippa said, in a short time, if you keep talking, you will make me a Christian too. And the Apostle Paul replied to him, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all that hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains, because the Apostle Paul was under arrest. 
In other words, Paul said to the king, I do not want you to become a prisoner like me, but I want you to become a Christian like me. And all Christians should be able to say something similar, especially to unbelievers, namely that we are to be so satisfied in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his freedom, joy, and the salvation we receive that other people want to become like us. That's the Apostle Paul. He goes on to say, for I also as you... And what he's referring to here is that he became like the Gentiles when he abandoned the law of Moses. When the Apostle Paul first came to Galatia, preached the gospel, he was preaching a pure gospel of salvation by faith uh, through grace alone. He was not adding Mosaic law to it. He had abandoned that. He recognized that that was not what saved us. And so he came and he wanted, he told him, I became like you. In other words, like Gentiles who did, weren't under the law at that time. Uh, Van Goethe, a philosopher, German poet, and dramatist, wrote these words about freedom. None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. And that was the, the message of the false teachers is that you really don't have the whole thing. You're not really free. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you also have to be under the Mosaic law. And so the Apostle Paul is encouraging them. He's begging of them here in verse 12. In verses 13 and 14, he's talking about the freedom that they had initially. And he uses contrast here in these verses between verses 13 and 16. Uh, he said, goes on in verse 12, you have, but you have done me no wrong. <clears throat> he says, you have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. You have done me no wrong. He's not taking it personally. Later we will see that the false teachers always gathered disciples unto themselves to build themselves up. The apostle Paul is saying, no, this is not about me. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ, about his plan of salvation. And it's not about the apostle Paul. And he reminds them of the, phys- the freedom that captured them initially, the freedom of the gospel. He says, you know that it was because of bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Evidently, the apostle Paul had some physical disfigurement, which was uh, very apparent. And even in the midst of that, His suffering did not derail the proclamation of the gospel. It did not derail the reception on the Galatians' part of the gospel. The Apostle Paul does not reveal what kind of physical problem he had. You know, uh, over the centuries, scholars have debated what was it. And uh, there's a number of of, uh, uh, options here. It could have been malaria uh, that disfigured him. It could have been weakness and disfigurement to being stoned at Lystra in Acts 14, 19. It could have been eye trouble, possibly an eye disease, uh, because he wrote in such large letters, he said elsewhere, and some physical problem brought on on by his thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12, or for whatever reason, God has chosen not to reveal specifically what his physical impairment was. And yet Paul is reminding these people that even though I was uh, awful to look at, you still receive the gospel of grace. It... uh, People were tending to loathe him because of it, but these Galatians were so anxious to hear the gospel of grace, they received it. And so they had this challenge to live in the freedom. He's reminding them of the freedom that they could have. 
And then they're to live in joy in verses 15 through 18. In verses 15 and 16, which is the contrast to verses 13 and 14, in verses 15 and 16, where then is that sense of blessing you had? He's asking them, where is that joy? Where is the happiness? Where is the blessing? Because you're going back into a slave situation, which is not joyful. Why are you doing that? He goes on in verse 16, for I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked your eyes out and given them to me. So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. Uh, He's contrasting that. He's saying, you know, you accepted my message. You accepted the message of salvation, and now you're going to reject it? Now you're going to deny it? What is this? Just logically, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, Where is the joy of your salvation? Uh, In Italy, uh, I understand, I've never been there, but I understand there are four partially finished sculptures on display They were figures that uh, the artist Michelangelo had begun. They were originally intended uh, to be used on the tomb of Pope Julius. But midway through the project, he decided not to use them and ceased working on these blocks of marble. In fact, if you Google it, you can see some of these in the images there. Uh, In some of these blocks of marble, there's a hand already carved and sticking out of the block. There's a torso of a man here, a leg, a part of a head, but none of them are finished Nearly everyone who sees these works senses the turmoil, the struggle embodied in these figures. It's though they are crying to break out and break free from the prison of the marble to become what they were intended to be. Author uh, Theodore Roeder looked upon these four figures that Michelangelo called the captives, and he wrote these words. When I looked at these partial figures, they stirred up in me a deep longing to be completed and ache to be set free from that which distorts and disguises, imprisons, and inhibits by humanness my wholeness. But as with those statues, I cannot liberate myself. For that, I need the hand of another, unquote. Of course, the Apostle Paul would agree, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot liberate yourself from the bondage and the slavery of being under the law. And he asked them, has truth become your enemy, basically? Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. They were being swept away by these false teachers and eager to to, uh, deny the doctrine that they knew, and the Apostle Paul was stepping in to exhort them. And there are those who would destroy our, our joy. In verses 17 and 18, they eagerly seek you, and he's speaking about the false teachers, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. The Apostle Paul is very astute in recognizing that the false teachers are gathering people unto themselves for their own ego, for their own agenda, and not for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they are uh, destroying the joy that a believer would have. Uh, In verse 17... Albert Barnes, a classic commentator on the New Testament, writes these. When false teachers have designs on a people, they begin to alienate their confidence and affections from their leaders, their teachers, their pastors. They can hope for no success until this is done, and hence the efforts of the errorists and of infidels and of scorners is to undermine the confidence of a people in ministry. And when this is done, there is little difficulty in drawing them over to their own purposes. So in, in verse 18, but it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, 
and not only when I am present with you. And so the Apostle Paul is telling them to live in joy and to combat the false teachers. And then living in anticipation in verses 19 through 20. In verse 19, there's this anticipation that we are living beings, that we will grow in life. The, the expectation when there is a baby born is that it's going to grow to maturity, that we will rear that child to maturity, and they will be a fully functioning, healthy adult. And uh, same with Christianity, that we continue to grow in maturity, and it's a lifelong process, and that we grow. We're no longer babes in Christ, but that we are spiritual ones, as Paul says in Corinthians. So we anticipate that. In verse 19, my children, notice very, very uh, emotional, emotive thing. My children in whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. Interesting, he uses a metaphor of a mother who is going to have a child, and the child is being formed in her womb, and he uses this idea, this picture, that is how he is struggling, that he wants to birth these people again, actually, he says, because they were born once to Christ, and now they are defected because of the false teachers. They need to be birthed again, formed again, that Christ would be formed in them, not that Paul would be formed in them, but Christ would be formed in them. It means, uh, there's a word used in verse 19, it means to give outward expression to one's inward nature. Paul wants Christ to be seen in the lives of the Galatians. A living Christ on the inside will uh, manifest himself on the outside of a believer. As a result of the legalist propaganda, the Galatians were beginning to trust in their self-effort for to obey the law instead of depending on the Holy Spirit to produce Christ-like life in them and through them. And then verse 20, anticipate God's solutions. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Uh, I think that's a very kind way of saying that Paul is really concerned. He's very perplexed about them. So live in freedom, live in joy, live in anticipation. And remember, life is a series of choices, a series of choices. We need to embrace the truth. Sometimes it is difficult, especially in our day and age of what we would call post-Christian America, where there's not a Christian sensitivity or a, even close to it in our culture and society. And so embrace the truth no matter what. Winston Churchill said, truth is incontrovertible. Panic may resent it, ignorance may deride it, malice may destroy it, but there it is. Truth remains. We need to watch our truth, embrace the truth of God, watch our attitude be a God-pleaser and not a man-pleaser. The Apostle Paul was a God-pleaser. He was not a man-pleaser. Even though he loved the Galatians deeply, he was willing to say the hard things. Keep your heart right, even when it is sorely wounded. Tim Keller wrote about a friend of his, uh, actually it was a relative of his, who some years ago never would put on a seatbelt in an automobile. He just, you know, grew up without doing it and refused to do it. Tim Keller writes that every time I talked to them, he would get in the car but wouldn't wear a seatbelt. Seat belt. We all nagged him to no avail. And then one day he got in my car and he put on his seatbelt right away. I was stunned because he had never done this before. Uh, I asked him, what happened to you? And he related the story of what happened. He said, a couple of weeks ago I went to see a friend of mine in the hospital. He had been in a car wreck and he went through the windshield. He had like 200 stitches in his face. And for some strange reason, ever since then, I've had no problem buckling up. 
I asked them, well, did you get some new information on this? What changed you? Did you not know that people go through windshields? Of course, I knew the answer to those questions. What happened was that an abstract proposition became connected with an actual sensory experience of something that he saw. As Jonathan Edwards used to say basically over and over again, it's only when you attach some truth that's when real life occurs. Something has to become real in your heart, then you will be changed. That's what the Apostle Paul He's using this example that they're losing their freedom. And when they experience the loss of freedom in Christ, they will not have peace in life. The Apostle Paul, live in freedom, live in anticipation, and live in joy because of what Christ has done and he alone. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today.